Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick. Hello and welcome to My Friends in the North. Many of us have wondered at some point in our lives if we'd be brave enough to change career and go in a completely different direction. Well, my guest today did exactly that and we'll hear all about it. Welcome to the show, owner and managing director of Gas Angel Heating, Amy Mooney. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Let's dive straight in. Amy, you've spent the majority of your career working in marketing and branding, which included starting a business with your best friend. So why, after 16 years, did you decide to make the change and invest in gas angel heating with your husband? Quite a big career move. Yeah, a huge career move. And it's a question that I ask myself yeah, almost every day, but um, I keep coming back to the same answer. And it's to be quite honest, as you mentioned, my background is in marketing brand and comms. Um, the early part that was spent working in Blue Chips, uh, I worked at Sage, I worked at Tui, and then I moved into agency, which I spent uh, about 16, 17 years of my life. And obviously, as you know very well, um, marketing and brand communications is all about the customer. So it's, you know, I have spent a, a huge part of my life working with my clients to really try and understand who their customer was, how they could elevate their brand, promote their products and services in a way that was relevant and helpful to to their customer base. And for me, this was more, so, so this move to Gas Angel was all about really trying to you know, capitalize on this amazing work that my husband, uh, David, had been doing with his team for the last 12 years and really simply helping him get that message out there. And we've had lots of talk about, you know, I tried to help him do it with them um, from an agency point of view. And we tried to bring in other people to do it. But I had quite a strong vision for, you know, what the things that he could potentially do with his business. And it wasn't until I went to an Entrepreneurs Forum event um, whilst I was on maternity leave. And I bumped into a couple of people who were up for awards in the heating industry that I really started to see what, you know, what like really started to see the opportunity that was there within this industry, which is, it's quite, it's quite dated. There's, you know, there's not a lot of um, small heating companies that have real kind of market and expertise. And I just felt like I was doing all of this work for lots of other people and seeing all their, you know, their amazing results. And you could be applying it for yourself. Absolutely. And I just had my second baby and I'd had a little bit of time away and I was starting to feel maybe a little bit jaded, you know, wasn't enjoying, wasn't enjoying the agency life as much as what I, what I had done. And I just wanted to, you know, this, this idea wouldn't go away, just kept kind of pricking away and it needed to be explored. And once I started, that was it. It was a bit of a, yeah, it was a bit of a snowball and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And no, now you are where you are. And obviously, um, quite challenging, but exciting in terms of learning a new sector from scratch, but also there's an opportunity to modernize and innovate there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning every day. But I think that's, I think that's across the board in, in any industry, you can't stay still things change um, so so quickly. But yeah, I think I probably I probably expected it to be maybe a little bit easier than what it was, particularly in the first year. And um, everything from terminology, from working with, you know, I was very much B2B in the past. Um, 
everything that I was doing for B2B in my previous life just didn't work. So, you know, I was going to networking events. I was doing um, different speaking things. Um, I was trying to connect with you know, my, my old network. And But obviously it, business clients and obviously very different to, con- to consumer clients. Now let's come on to that a moment because obviously the work you do involves a lot of servicing and making sure that people have got heating and hot water when the boiler goes off, right? Now we've been in the middle of this lockdown, the time for recording, we're about 14 weeks in. How have you managed this? Because I imagine there's been access issues, but you've also seen a lot of vulnerable and scared people. Yeah, we have. And you know, so to start off with, we, we took the decision to start off with to go to emergency work only. So we cut everything right down. Work kind of almost stopped at the end of March and in April. Obviously, people were frightened about having people in their homes unless it was an absolute emergency. So we really did see our you know, our turnover and our profits plummet. We had to furlough staff. Unfortunately, we had to let one member of staff go because they'd started without the, um, after the furlough period. Mm. But what we did find during that 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 period in in the very sort of start of lockdown is that the houses that we were going into, the homes that we were going into, were for the people who really needed it the most. And I think for the first time, I actually realised like wholeheartedly how crucial, how vital the work is that we do. And yes, it's not as glamorous or as luxurious as maybe the previous work that I'd done in the past, um, but it is vital. It is a lifeline to, you know, people who are, well, in this day and age, everybody needs to be able to wash their hands with warm water. But, you know, older people who at that point, it was still a bit chilly, needed the heating on and needed to be able to have, a, you know, a warm shower and the thanks and appreciation and you know, the, our reviews went through the roof. Um, we got letters of thanks, you know, from lots of customers. And yeah, it, it, that, it's actually made me realise the beginning of lockdown and throughout coronavirus made me realise this is what I wanted to do. This is the type of business that I wanted to be in and we can make a real difference. Yeah, crucial for, for people and, and members of the public um, to know that they've got a trusted provider that they can turn to when, when things aren't good. Um, I'm going to be a bit nosy now. Um, you talked about your husband, David, and obviously... Uh, you've got busy family life, living with David, and now you work with him. What kind of challenges does that create in terms of balancing home and corporate life? And I know you've got four kids, and I guess obviously that will have been impacted by lockdown too, because we've all, I've certainly judging by my own personal circumstances, you know, longest time I've spent in my house with my husband ever. <laughs> how how is that? How's that for you? Oh God, it's just. To start off with, it was, I felt like it was hell on earth. And I, you know, I really did. I struggled like crazy with it. And I'm definitely, I'm, I'm definitely, I can definitely cope with it better now. I've got better sort of coping mechanisms in place. But to be honest, it was a bit of a, it was an absolute kind of crazy time in the in the beginning because yeah so um we've got four boys between us you know two of them are my stepchildren and so they weren't all the time weren't here all the time but just trying to balance work you mentioned what did you get a balance and I I, I completely disagree with any you know with work-life balance I don't think it, I don't think there is such a thing as a work-life balance it's never 50-50 and if it is it means that you're not giving 100% to one area so you can never feel you can never feel totally satisfied. So it's about being able to kind of cope with that. Um, I, you know, but, that's a really good point because I always say there is no work-life balance. It's, it's a little mix of everything every single day. And that means, you know, that you don't really have, a, I, I certainly don't have a day off, but that's the way I can move through the week seamlessly trying to deliver everything I need to in every aspect of my life without having a breakdown. 
Yeah, and I actually think that if you striving for a work-life balance is it puts more pressure on. It's yeah. just you know, we've got to just relax and, and remember that we can't do it all. We can't be mothers, business owners, teachers, cooks. You know, you know this is what we're all trying to do at the minute. You know, full time, looking after our kids, homeschooling, still work full time, and it's just yeah, it's it's definitely hard and. The good thing was that David, he was back out with customers because a lot of like staff were furloughed and so on, which kept him out of the house, which was, which was good. So that, that, in that respect, it was great. But yeah, I think it's just what everybody's been faced with. Some days it's good. Some days you feel like you're nailing it. Other days you just want to start drinking gin at 10 o'clock in the morning. Amen. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's go, let's go back to um, this whole blended family thing. Like, um, I've I've got one. Um, Lucy Nicola was one of my previous guests on My Friends in the North. Um, we, we've talked about that with her. Blended families are fantastic in many ways. They're also incredibly challenging. How have you approached this? And have you got any tips for others with a similar setup? Yeah, well, funnily enough, I feel like I've just had a bit of a, an epiphany on this. And I, I can't say that this is working really well. So and it's only really been the last month. And um, so time will tell. But my stepson Ben and my eldest um, Jack are very similar in age, so they're ten and eleven, and so we're we're obviously all together quite a lot. And so my my strategy, without even really thinking about it, up until very recently, was just that you know I treat them both exactly the same. We, you know, what whatever the rule is, it sort of it, it works for both of them. Um, this is how this is how we do this in this house, and blah 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 blah. But obviously, as they're, they're both starting to grow up, they're, they're very, very different personalities. So um, Jack is quite extrovert and, and quite loud and quite demanding of your attention. Ben's a lot quieter, a little bit more of an introvert and is happy to kind of, you know, um, sort of busy himself as such. Um, and so you know, treating them in the same way absolutely doesn't work. And obviously, what you've also got to take into account is that there's a there's another parent out there who has a, possibly has a very different way of parenting, you know, has a different ideas of how things should be. So my, my new thing, and this came across because we, we went to a barbecue about a month ago. So we were all outdoors and we were, you know, there was only a few people there. And I thought it was okay because we were all kind of socially distancing, but obviously the other parent didn't. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, that, that was me trying to make one child exactly the same as the other child but maybe not you know there's there's other there's people other people's opinions that you have to take into account so my strategy now is to try and understand what the you know the other parent really really wants for their child and to and to try and treat them as just a complete individual and also take a little bit more of a step back than maybe what I did so you know if if, if, if a friend's child was misbehaving, for example, you would maybe be like, you know, kind to the child and then, you know, supportive of your friend and say, oh, dear me, you know, it's, you know, this happened to me and so on. And you wouldn't really get too involved. Whereas in the past, I've probably got quite involved and, it, you know, it hasn't gone down too well. So I'm um, taking a little more of a step back, being a bit more of a friend, being um, and really trying to take the other parent's opinion and uh, into consideration Amy that's that's great advice and it all really resonates with me and it's really difficult and I think that step back lesson is actually quite a hard one that probably anybody who's been in the situation gets to at some point where you kind of go okay let's think about this maybe that and there needs to be a little bit more space for a lot of the reasons that you've identified there so thank you for that because it's it's a challenging 
situation. And I, I don't think there is necessarily a right answer. And it's one that, that you learn as you go on, which actually moves me perfectly into the next question. Because again, this is something you learn as you go, because there's no parenting handbook. Raising boys, you've got four in your household from age two to 15. Uh, I've got two aged eight and 10. Uh, and we also have um, my husband's got a 14 year old boy as well. What particular support would you say that boys need as they develop and get older? So this is actually something I feel really, really strongly about because I'm, you know, I'm a huge champion for sort of women and girls, you know, having the same opportunities as as as, as boys have, um, and I, and I focused a lot on this, but I also feel that whilst we shouldn't, you know, pitch, you know, pigeonhole girls as being, you know, if, if a girl maybe speaks up too much or has a big opinion, we talk about them maybe being bossy or, and we, uh, we talk about sort of defined roles with girls. I think it's really important that we be careful not to kind of pigeonhole boys as well. Like, you know, we, I want all, like all of our boys to be able to feel comfortable to talk about their feelings if they're upset and if they're not feeling, so Jack will say to me, he, he will lie in bed and he will say, I've got a funny feeling in my tummy, mummy. And for ages, I would go, well, what, is it a pain? Are you hungry? And he would say, no, it, I just feel strange. I just, it's like an unhappy feeling. And so I would try to do everything. So I would say, we'll read a book. Um, let's tell a joke. Let's, you know, I try to distract him from it. Um, because, I, you know, I'd maybe try to almost try to get rid of this hot, bad feeling that he's got. And I think it's important as the boys have got older to think about, well, you know, you've got a, you've got a feeling and it might not be nice, but that's all right. You just need to feel it and not try to hide from that feeling because boys and girls will have lots of different feelings as they grow up. And if you try and hide from them, you know, that could potentially lead on to problems at later lives. So yeah. I and want also the boys- not to avoid conflict, to find allow them a way that they can have a structive, perhaps critical conversation with you as they get older uh, without mm-hmm. it descending into arguments or fighting, whatever. So as you give them a chance to actually air their perspective, whether right or wrong, and try and do it in a non-judgy way. Um, yeah. you, know, that's, you know, I've been reading up quite a lot around this because obviously as the kids get older, like I say, there's no manual. You learn as you go. Completely. I mean, obviously they need loads. Boys need loads of exercise. They need to be out. Oh, they God, need yeah. Mm-hmm. To run around. And if they don't, it's, you know, it, it really does build up and that's when the emotions absolutely overflow. So, I mean, I don't have girls, so I, I don't know and I can't really quite... You know, we, I was quite active as a child anyway, you know, but um, I definitely feel like um, if they're not out and if they're not getting, you know, that release, then it's their emotions tend to bubble over a little bit more than, you know, what they would normally. Do you find that or? Yeah, we tend to try and burn off any excess energy first thing in the morning, especially with the homeschooling, with the lockdown. We get up, get them out. That sets the pace of the day and kind of takes the edge off. And then we, we take it from there. I find it much easier to get them to sit down and apply themselves. Yeah. And just the, just the, the, it's much easier when that excess energy is gone. <laughs> and then we're back out at lunchtime and then back out later and with um, <laughs> trampolining in between. Trampoline, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know, let's move on. Moving on, let's, um, let's look at some other things. So I know you're an avid reader. And you've usually got a book on the go, um, especially to do with women in business. Out of the ones you've read recently, which would you recommend, and, and why would you why would you say to read them? Oh God, I've got absolutely loads. It's hot. actually it is hard to pick one, but there's there's one that's massive. Like you know, it's 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 had, it's really really struck a chord, and it's by an author called Marie Folio. She's um, I think she's from New York, and the the book's called Everything Is Figureoutable. 
And this year, this has had the biggest impact on me this year. I'm so much so that I'm actually taking her online digital marketing course at the minute, which is brilliant. It's like no other course that I've taken and obviously having years and years in agency working in digital marketing. This is just a real fresh look perspective on it. And it's, it, it helps, helps me because it's about dealing with consumers as well. Um, but she is just a massive um, role model for women in business. I had a little chat on BBC Radio Newcastle about this yesterday actually but she talks loads around imposter syndrome and I know in the business world imposter syndrome seems to have been a bit of a buzzword it seems to be maybe slightly overused sometimes but her take on it is really interesting because she talks about that over 70% of us will encounter imposter syndrome particularly as we start to kind of try to move towards the things that we're striving for and we get so worried because maybe we're not good enough or we're not experienced enough or sooner or later we're gonna you know fuck it all up and we're gonna get found out and mm. yeah and the the scary thing is that it, this really does hit women and it, it hits people from sort of more marginalized communities because they've traditionally seen lots of white males in power you know that's just tradition and but if you know if you are a woman or a woman of color or a person from any community that isn't as know well represented in say leadership positions it's really really easy to question whether you belong or not and she touches on this massively and she touches on how this affects our bank balance not just our mm. you know our well-being our mental health but it's all about if you feel like this you won't ask for that raise you you won't quit your job you won't start your business you won't put yourself forward for the promotion that you want to go for and you won't have the guts to say you know I'm absolutely worth this and so I'm going to ask for x y and z maybe in the same way that your male counterparts might. Um, and you can still be completely grateful for, you know, what you have. And it's not that you're being, you know, and you can still, you know, really appreciate what you have, but you're allowed to be ambitious and ambition yeah. and gratitude aren't mutually exclusive. And she talks a lot about that. And yeah, everything is figure outable. Good title as well. That is a great title. And that's a good message too. Um, I think it's a really important one for women in business. Um, like you say, who often can't see somebody like them uh, in, in the position above. Um, let's go back to your time in marketing and branding. Probably, um, like me, you've no doubt paid really close attention to the government's messaging around the lockdown. And of course, we've had the subsequent easing where the, the message has transitioned. How do you think it's managed the crisis today? Do you know, I mean, it's, it's a tricky one to talk about because, you know, you could ask... 100 people and 50 people will have different opinions on this but mm. I'd like to say first and foremost that I'm from a long line of Labour voters and so if my mum's listening to this please don't be offended and you know I, I voted Labour in the last elections I didn't vote for this government to come in um, however I haven't misunderstood any of the messaging that's been sent out there and I think I think if you want to put it open for interpretation you can do but you could do that with any message and so I uh, I do think that, you know, this is this is a situation that nobody's ever been involved in before. There's lots of talk about there not being a blueprint. And I actually think that we've potentially done the, you know, the best that we can. And I think in terms of Boris Johnson it might not be good enough, but I believe that he has maybe done the best that he can in the given situation with the skills and, you know, with the type of person that he potentially is and whether that's good or whether that's bad. I think we just we're all responsible we're all you know we know what the rules are but we also also all have choices as well and you know it's up to us what we do with those yeah, there's rules. an element of a personal responsibility there 
That's a very diplomatic answer, Amy, I have to say. <laughs> and let's let's move back on to gas angel heating. I'm just aware that we're, we're running out of time. There's so much to get through. We work here at Stute.work with a lot of organisations helping them develop their social capital. And now, when I was having a little bit nosy on the internet about you and the business gas angel heating, I spotted that you have a tree planting pledge um, and you support just one tree. That helps offset your, your carbon footprint. Why was that important to you? Yeah, so it was. It started off from a little boy, Jack. Um, he just one tree came into his school, and it it basically terrified him for about a month. Um, he was really frightened about deforestation, what it meant, and he started to become obsessed with orangutans and that they were losing their homes. And so we just started to look into it for him. And the more I actually started to look into it, the more I started to realize how absolutely crucial this is, and that if we're gonna survive as a species, which is terrifying to even say that but we absolutely need to consider the planet and everything that we do and so obviously my company is um, responsible for installing and maintaining gas boilers into households um, across the northeast and there's something like 23 million households attached to the, the the main gas grid and so this as much as the government are looking into lots of ways to you know bring in um, maybe hydrogen boilers and so on so a much cleaner cleaner option it's not going to happen for a good five to ten years so we wanted to be able to do something ourselves and you know myself my husband the kids you know we were limited in terms of what we could do so what we decided to do was tap into our customer base and lots of the work that I've been doing lots of the buy persona work and the, the customer analysis work we were finding that the customers who are ideal customer type did have a social conscience around um, climate change and the more we you know interviewed them on this the more they told us that they would be absolutely willing, they would like to be able to help, but you know, they're busy, they just want a way that make that's made easy for them. Um, you know, we looked into planting trees, and once you do start to look into it, you know, you realize that trees do like an incredible amount, and it's easy to see why they're such a kind of an integral part to the health and the survival of not just planet but to us as well um yeah. yeah so every customer who signs up to a gas angel cover plan which is boiler cover we plant two trees for them um and we do that year on year so it offsets their boiler co2 and reduces their carbon footprint amazing and it's fantastic that it came from inspired by your son as well it just shows you that the, the future generations offer so much hope for us well, we're almost out of time maybe so let's finish off with a very quick and easy one Everyone's anxiety levels are high at the moment. What's your top tip for switching off after another busy day? Do you know, it's because obviously I'm at home all the time with the kids and I'm working with obviously David. It's getting out into the garden and, garden and going on to FaceTime with a friend and having a glass of wine and just sitting and putting the world to rights away from anybody else who I've kind of been surrounded by, surrounded by for the, the last sort of 24 hours and yeah just half an hour sometimes an hour and then that's it I'm ready to kind of face the world again <laughs> great advice Amy thanks for a great interview if you'd like to keep up to date with what Amy's doing you can connect with her on Twitter at Amy One Mooney now we're always interested in hearing new voices and stories on My Friend of the North so you if you or a client would like to be involved please do drop me a line at sarah at astute.org but bye for now and see you next time for listening to my friends in the north with sarah waddington you can find sarah on twitter at mrs underscore once or get involved with the podcast by emailing sarah at astute.work see you next time mm-hmm.